Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. All right, all right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. Welcome, welcome. And welcome to everyone joining us online as well as everyone in VR. So glad to have you here today. Uh, This is going to be a sweet day as we launch into week one of The GOAT. And as most of you know, the GOAT stands for what? Greatest of all time. All right, so just for funsies here, okay? Let's just have a little, this interactive, okay? This is when you can talk back, okay? Please. Uh, So shout out to me who you think, uh, I'll give you some different categories of people's groups, teams, whatever, uh, items, you think the greatest of all time is. So let's let's start with like one of my favorites, NFL football team. Who's the greatest of all time? That was like this weird conglomerate of, I, I heard Packers, guys, don't, don't give yourselves that, okay? It's just like, now I'm a Bears fan, but I'm not going to give us that. I mean, we all know that's not true, so, uh, except for maybe the 85 Bears, but uh, I don't know, the, the Patriots, they'd be up there, right? I mean, I think there's some, there's a few teams. Uh, all right, let's see in that category, greatest of all time, NFL player. Who's the player? All right. Peyton Manning, uh, we got Tom Brady. Those are all those are good options. Let's switch sports, okay? Uh, NBA team, greatest of all time. Who would you say? Yes, the correct answer is the Bulls. That is true, okay? So no, our greatest of all time NBA player would be. That's right. The correct answer, once again, is Michael Jordan. So, so you can you tell I'm from <laughs> Chicagoland. Oh, man. All right, let's change this all together. Uh, greatest band of all time. Who would you say greatest band of all time is? Beatles. Okay, I heard Eagles, Beatles, ACDC. <laughs> debatable. Uh, okay. <laughs> By very few people, debatable. Okay, uh, who else? Okay, I, this was a funny one. I... So I was listening to the radio like a couple weeks ago and we're hearing, it was a U2 song and I start singing along and my kids are actually singing along. I was like, oh, I love this. And they're like, who is this? I was like, U2. And they're like, you want us to look it up on YouTube? I'm like, no, not YouTube, U2. They're like, me too? I'm like, no, not me too, U2. Letter U plus the word from the number two. It's a band, like kind of the greatest of all times. They're like, never heard of them. I was like, what is wrong with you people? So I was like, I don't know, somehow. I started playing them all these songs and they're like, oh yeah, I've heard that one. I was like, yeah, greatest of all time. All right, how about uh, greatest state to live in of all time? What do you think? (laughs) And all the Texans said, it's our nation. So no, you might say Texas, Florida, Arizona. Wisconsin is like this totally underrated Amazing place. Come on, to live. We love it. We love it here. All right. Uh, greatest candy of all time. What's your favorite? Butterfingers, Reese's, Snickers. I'm a Reese's peanut butter cup guy, just in case anyone was wondering, okay? If random gifts want to come my way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, greatest car, like brand, uh, do you care? Some of you don't, I don't care. I didn't grow up in a family, but all right. Some of you are like diehard. I'm going to be buried in my my Mercedes, okay, my Ford, my Dodge, my Ram, whatever it is. Some people really care. I, I, my family, we didn't care. Uh, how about pizza topping? Greatest of all time. What do you think? <laughs> I heard uh, anchovies. Wow. Uh, so, uh, some people would say pepperoni. Someone yelled out uh, pineapple. Anyone like pineapple on their pizza? 
So I, I do too. So this was funny. This was a few months ago. Pastor Richard, he was ordering pizzas for the Thursday night uh, service. And he's like, hey, do you like pineapple? I was like, yeah, I like pineapple. Go ahead. So he, so he orders pizzas, all these pizzas. There's a dozen pizzas, just pineapple. And I was like, I saw him. I opened them up and I'm like, what is this? He's like, you said you like pineapple. I was like, pineapple and anything, you know, any meat that you want to add to that, bacon, ham, whatever, but I was just like, just pineapple, that made no sense to me. Okay, uh, our uh, greatest burger of all time, where do you go? And I'm genuinely taking notes here, okay, because we love hunting for the best burger. Smash burger? Culver's, okay, the butter burger. Anyone? Wendy's, okay, no one's, no one's yelling McDonald's, what's wrong with you? No. <laughs> There are some good ones, There's, but we're always in search of the best burger. If you, if you find one that you're like, this one you've got to try, please tell us. We'll go find it and we will try it. Uh, as a pastor, one of the things that happens to me kind of regularly is I'll you know, be standing out there in the foyer and someone's walking past and they'll say, oh, pastor, that was the greatest message of all time. And I'll just kind of be like, well, thank you so much. You know, praise God. Uh, and I'm usually thinking to myself, I doubt it. So <laughs> that's just me being honest. I'm like, I'd give myself an A minus, you know, or something like that. But I'm like, I, I, I just greatest of all time. Because today what we're doing is we're launching into a series about the sermon that is the greatest sermon, I believe, of all time, given by the greatest man of all time, God, man, Jesus Christ himself. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because he delivers it on the side of a mountain. And, um, and so for the rest of the summer, actually for about the next eight, nine weeks, we are going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you struggle to read scripture, can I just invite you on a journey with us to read Matthew five through seven, every single week with us for the next handful of, of weeks together. You will read the Sermon on the Mount eight or nine times. And over this two-month period of time, you're going to have the Word of God just kind of saturate your life of the greatest sermon that's ever been given. Just start to kind of work its way, and you'll discover things every single week, things that you didn't see the week before, the day before. You're going to be like, ooh, I didn't catch that the day before. And, uh, and the Word of God will do a work of that which it can do, only it can do, which is a transforming work in our hearts. And so that's where we're going to be diving in to set the stage a little bit. For the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to understand who's there, okay? So to discover who's there, we actually go to Matthew chapter 4, the very last verse of Matthew chapter 4. This is what it says. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Okay, so what do we got here? We got large crowds, and notice where they're coming from. Galilee is a massive region. The Decapolis was actually a huge region, primarily, by the way, of non-Jewish people. So these are like non-Jews coming to follow Jesus, the Jewish rabbi. Deca meaning ten, so it was a region of ten big cities. Jerusalem was obviously uh, the main capital, Judea, and then the region across the Jordan, meaning it's, it is a massive area that all these people are coming from to hear Jesus. So he's got a huge crowd. Now here's why this is immediately kind of unusual and strange and unique, because typical sermons were given in a church setting. They were given, for them, that would have been the synagogue, the temple, the temple setting. And it was given by a rabbi or a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, a Sadducee. And you also got to understand the primary audience in that day and age, the target audience. You want to know who the target audience of the sermons were for? It was for those who already knew it all. The religious elite. 
That's who, so the religious elite are delivering a sermon to the religious elite, allowing the commonplace person to sit in, if you will. But we would have been really the secondary kind of audience member in a typical sermon in the synagogue while these religious leaders are debating and teaching and kind of dialoguing with one another and allowing the regular people just to listen in. So for Jesus, he's delivering this in in an unusual place to an unusual group of people. It's to the everyday person that, quite frankly, wasn't ever the primary audience, okay? And so... It's from this kind of setting that we're going to launch in, and we're going to read the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, often referred to as the Beatitudes. And let's just all stand together because we're going to read all the way through this together. So as we read the Word of God, why don't we stand for the reading of the Word of God? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks for staying for the reading of the word. Go ahead and be seated. All right, so we call these the Beatitudes. It's actually not based off of a Greek word, but a a Latin word, beatus, which means happy or blessed. And so all these statements of blessed are really could be happy is this person or blessed is this person. And now what Jesus is doing here from the very beginning of the sermon is really pretty mind-blowing because what he's doing is he's leveling the playing field of who the kingdom of God is ultimately for. Now, one of the things you got to know is that culturally, it was the religious leaders or the teachers of the law, the rabbis, the religious elite who were considered by culture to be those who would be blessed in the kingdom of God or happy in the kingdom of God. Like if there's someone who would already say, I'm happy and I'm close to God and God's close to me. And he's happy about me. That would have been the religious elite. Not everyone else who Jesus is going to be addressing here. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying it's not just for the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders of the kingdom of God. Are you ready? It's for others. It's for everyone. Some before I dive into it, we'll also interpret the Beatitudes as something that we should aspire to. So you look at some of these kind of attributes and you'd say poor in spirit, mourning. Does that mean that we should aspire to be poor and sad? And I actually disagree with anyone who teaches that way because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And that, hey, this is what we should all aspire to do is be poor and sad people. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's saying, if you find yourself in that category of people, guess what? The kingdom of God is a whole lot closer to you than you might imagine. It's for you as well. It's actually an invitation for each person who finds themselves in those categories to come closer to the kingdom of God and and that it's for them as well. So let's just look at this first group as as an example. Matthew chapter five, verse three, he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's start by actually uh, dealing with the second part of this phrase of poor in spirit. Let's start with in spirit. When he says in spirit, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? No, 
He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Why do I know that? It's because this is before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has not yet been released upon Christians or upon Christ followers. This is af- it's after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit will be placed inside of Christ followers, marking them as a Christian. That will become the norm to today. This is what happens for us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. He places his Holy Spirit in us. So what does in spirit mean here? It's simply the best way to describe it would be the attitude or state of mind of the person as a whole. So it's the feeling of kind of consuming the whole person. So if you're like, oh man, you're just so sad in spirit. It would be like it's consuming all of who you are. Does that make sense? So when he says poor, what does that mean? Does that just mean poverty? No, it's actually bigger than that. The Greek word here actually speaks to poverty, but it can also be a sense of not having, obviously not having, kind of similar. It can also speak into just hardship, a state of depression, or a state of personal inadequacy. Have any of you ever faced any of those things? And every hand should be in the air. Yeah, and I think the reason why Jesus even starts with this poor in spirit as he kind of just dives in is what he's doing is he's saying something that 99% of the people right there can go, I can relate to that. Like I've faced poverty in my life. Probably most of the crowd there lived in a state of poverty. I've I've faced hardship in my life. I've faced depression in my life. I've faced personal inadequacy in my life. And this first group of people, which is probably applies to every single person there. And Quite frankly, it's a whole group of people that probably just don't feel like they have everything perfectly together. It's interesting because first century culture is not a whole lot different than today's culture in, in terms of this mindset around the kingdom of God. In that day and age, they actually had this belief that they actually had to get themselves right before going to the temple. Part of that was actually some of the cultural things that were involved. Like before going to the temple, you would go through a ceremonially cleansing process. Like... You go into what's basically be the equivalent of a baptismal, walk down into it, walk out of it. Now you're ceremonially clean. Now you can go into the temple. So there were these things that we did to actually prepare ourselves to even go into the temple and to worship. And so it was things like that that got people thinking, hey, I probably shouldn't go to the temple until I get everything squeaky clean in my life. And unfortunately, the same mindset still exists today. Or I talk with people and I'm like, hey, you should come to church. And they're like, I'll come someday when I fill in the blank. Get all the things ready and in order in my life. Like, I can come to church once everything is sorted out. But that's actually not how this God thing works at all. It's not about get your life all sorted out and right and then come to God. It's come to God as you are and then allow him to help sort out the mess that you're in. And this is actually what Jesus is speaking into. He's saying, listen, it's not for just the religious elite to come all squeaky clean to the temple. It's for all of you who are poor in spirit. You're facing hardship, difficulty, poverty, inadequacy. Anyone relate? And it's for you. And you come as you are. Not perfect, but imperfect. And then allow the kingdom of God to do the work in you. Next group. I just got to keep going. I know the time and I know how long I took first service. So we're going to get there. Okay. Verse four. I got 12 verses. That's a lot of verses for me. Okay. All right. Verse four. Blessed are those who mourn 
for they will be comforted. Okay, once again, is this something to aspire to? Like, hey, let's all just become sad. No, that's not what his point is here. His point is not to uh, try to get us to all become sad people. His point is to say, listen, if you find yourself in this state of mourning, I'm there for you. The kingdom of God is there for you. There's something that can be found actually in me. There's actually two things that Jesus is doing. Yes, he's saying there's something that can be found in me, comfort that can be found in me if you find yourself in a place of mourning. But there's also probably a more profound thing that he's leaning into. And it's a passage, a well-known passage that most of this crowd would have known. See, they all grew up going to like Jewish school and they would have memorized all these main passages of scriptures. And one of the main passages would have been Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And here's what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. See that final line there to comfort all who mourn everyone, everyone who Jesus is talking to there, they probably knew this passage and knew this phrase. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What everyone is thinking is they're thinking about this passage and going, oh, I see what Jesus is doing there. He's actually declaring himself as the fulfillment of this prophetic message that was given 580 some years before. And he's saying, I am the, Mes- the messianic fulfillment of this. And if you find yourself in that category as someone who is mourning, hardship, downtrodden, I am the person who can unlock comfort for you in your life. In fact, there have been times in my life, and I imagine in yours as well, when sadness has just swallowed me whole. Anyone? And I'll just be honest, I don't have a clue how you would do this thing called mourning and sadness without Jesus. I just don't I, I don't, I don't know. See, without a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there's something that the kingdom releases over me that I've experienced, and I know so many Christians who have experienced this as well, when they mourn, that is bigger than just an ethereal idea of hope. What it is, it's the kingdom of God being released over someone who is mourning and being comforted by his spirit. It is so much richer and deeper than anything that the world could offer that gives you this sense of comfort. And he goes, listen, for those of you who find yourself in a state where you just are broken hearted and sad, there's actually something that I unlock for you that I, Jesus, can unlock for you in the kingdom that will comfort you in such a profound way. Next one. Jesus is going to do something so creative in this next statement. Okay, let's check it out. Verse 6. Blessed are the meek. Hold on. Is that the next one? Yes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Check this out. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness, in the Greek there, it literally can be, uh, it's the closest meaning is lowly, uh, lowly, lowliness or a state of powerlessness, an inability to forward one's own cause. And then I love what he says. He says, for they will inherit the earth. Here's my question. 
what is Jesus doing right now? Is he just like, well, I gave the kingdom of God to the first group, so I guess I'll give the earth to the next group. Like, what's he doing here? Is he just kind of like, I'm just hanging, handing out planets at this point, you know, to different people of like, what are they going to get? But here's what I think is actually really strategic in terms of when he says they'll inherit the earth. So a meek person, if it really means powerless, inability to move one's own kind of cause forward. Someone who is like that, the point of powerlessness is they have no power, which means it is typically connected with possession and position. Possession and position, which in that day and age was really about how much land was I in charge of. Possession and position. So think about this. In that day and age, this is why the kings were constantly warring with one another, trying to conquer one another to get more kingdom. They were trying to eventually conquer the whole earth. Now, if you were meek and you had no position and you had no power, you didn't have the ability to actually acquire land. And so what's crazy here is he says, blessed are the meek, meaning those who don't have the ability to move your own cause forward, to have possession, to have position. And you want to know what you're going to get? You're going to get all the land, which is crazy because it makes no sense. And that's the whole point. He's going, listen, in my kingdom, when it seems like you have the inability to have access to anything, the very thing that everyone on this earth is trying to fight for, in my kingdom, I actually give you everything. Ta-da. Like, this is a big deal. He's like, in my kingdom... When you, when you grab hold of it, you're going to discover that you actually have authority over the greatest thing that everyone wants. And you, Man, I feel like I'm, I, I'm just going to let that settle, okay? I'm going to let that settle, let that sit. It's a deep thought, and it's really good, okay? Jesus, take it further than I can take it, okay? Jesus is going to do something in this next group. That I just think is so creative in the next statement. Verse 6, check it out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now pause there. If he's just making that statement, everyone in the crowd goes, I've been there. Because you need to understand in that day and age, people typically ate maybe one, sometimes two meals a day. And it wasn't uncommon for them to hunger or thirst every day. Or maybe regularly go without water or go without a meal. And so when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, the whole crowd goes, I've been there. And then what Jesus does is he takes a very real physical thing that everyone has faced and he ties it now to a spiritual trait that he wants them to now lean into. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, that's interesting. Meaning every time that you're hungry and thirsty, how about instead of just feeling that, that physical feeling of what you're feeling, I want you to lean into something from my kingdom. And when you do so, you will be filled. Here's why this is so creative and really brilliant. is because every single one of us face times in our lives when we have a very real physical hurdle that we're facing. And in that moment, when we face a physical hurdle, almost what Jesus does there is he says, hey, don't miss this moment of this physical hurdle to actually press into my kingdom and be filled from something from my kingdom. Let me give you an example. Uh, Three weeks ago, 
We're leaving a minor league baseball game uh, over in Rockford. And um, while we were heading on out at the end of the game, we're walking out across the parking lot and as a family, and everyone's kind of leaving. Cars are starting to move. And my daughter, Eden, who's nine, goes running across the parking lot, and she's running at full steam, and a car is going, and neither one of them were going to stop in time, and she gets nailed. She just gets hit, and hit hard. And she goes kind of flying uh, off the hood, and it's one of these moments that as a parent, you just can't really, you can't unsee. And it's traumatic. And it's terrifying. And as I go running around to the other side of the car, and I just don't know what I'm going to find with my daughter. She's laying on the ground there. And um, I don't know how, you know, what's broken. And I, is she alive? All those thoughts. It's amazing the number of thoughts that can run through your head in that amount of time. And And as I pick her up, there's just blood just pouring down her shirt. And and I'm looking and I'm just like, oh no, what? Like, is she going to pass out? Is she going to die right here in my arms? Okay, long story, really short. She's fine. (laughs) No bones. This is, it was truly a miracle. No bones broken. No internal bleeding. Bruised up, yes. 10 stitches in her chin. It was a massive gash under her chin. Um, But God was honestly protecting, and God was good. Now, in that moment, how do I respond? Physical reality. I can be sad. I can be mad. I could be angry. I could be fearful. Want to know what I start doing? I start praying faith-filled prayers. Why? Because I'm hungry for something. I'm hungry for something from his kingdom. I'm in the middle of a very real physical hurdle and moment in my life. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying in the midst of this very real physical experience where your stomach is growling, you know, when you can feel it in your gut. And in that moment, I'm feeling something in my gut. It's actually an invitation to run to his kingdom and be filled and that's what I receive. And here's what so often happens. You, you see these, these hats or t-shirts that say like faith over fear. And you can go, oh, that's just so cliche. Or it's a great thing to be on a t-shirt. But the truth is every single time you face any physical hurdle, anything in, the, in your reality that causes you to have this real physical response to it, it's actually an invitation to actually step further into your faith, into the kingdom of God, or to walk away from it. And Jesus is going, listen, in these moments, this is the moment actually to take a step toward the kingdom of God and be filled with something that's unique from his kingdom that will fill your soul in a way that literally satisfies the hunger that you have. You and I are going to face many moments in our life where it's like it's a, you're actually having a physical reaction and it's actually an invitation, I believe, to take a, a step toward his kingdom. Next group. Matthew 7, uh, or Matthew 5, 7 through 9. I'm going to do this pretty quick because I've got like three minutes left. And blessed is Josh, for he will go long. Okay? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, so now this is like, I, I grouped this group together only because um, it's not, 
I don't want to say that these are things that we're aspiring to, but they should be attributes that we do long to exhibit. Mercy, having a pure heart, being peacemakers. But here's why I believe Jesus kind of throws these out there. It's because once again, that in that day and age, the way that you became close to the kingdom of God was being the religious elite. And you want to know who was in the religious elite? It was the elite. It was this small, minute group of people and the, that, that could bring what they could bring into the religious system. And yet you had all these other people who it's like the best thing I can bring religiously, if you will, to God is being a person who shows mercy, is being a person who lives with a pure heart, is being a peacemaker in my community. And what Jesus is saying is he's like, listen, those attributes that seem to be kind of overlooked in our culture because it doesn't make you part of the religious re- elite, he goes, God actually sees all those things because those are the attributes that belong to the people who belong in my kingdom. It's this, it's kind of this beautiful way of acknowledging that if that was all you could bring to the kingdom, guess what? The kingdom's for you as well. Last group, Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These last three verses and statements, they have everything to do with persecution. But here's what you need to know, once again, about Jewish culture. Jews faced persecution all the time in that culture. They were ruled by the Roman government. There were even laws that existed basically to persecute them. In fact, Jesus will allude to one just in a few verses. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, here's a verse. Jesus will allude to a law that persecuted Jews. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two with them. You want to know what he's alluding to there? A law that actually uh, empowered Roman guards to basically walk up to any Jew and say, hey, you got to carry whatever I have one mile for me. So you got my groceries, carry them home. And you were required by law to carry them one mile. When Jesus says this, he's like, I know law requires requires you to carry it one mile. I say, take it two. Meaning when you find yourself being persecuted, actually I want you to lean into that and be a servant and not hold it against the person. But the Jews were a group of people who understood oppression. They understood being a minority. They understood being underprivileged. They understood what it looked like when life's not fair. And has life ever not been fair to you? Yeah, probably. Because when life's not fair, maybe because you're a Christ follower or because you're trying to live out your faith at work or you're trying to live it out among your family and your family is turning on you or those work coworkers are turning on you or the neighbors are turning on you or someone is holding something against you for your faith. He's like, listen, when you are persecuted, listen, great is your reward. I see that. Like he sees that and he rewards that. But in all of these verses, he's emphasizing there's a place for you, even you, every one of us in the kingdom of God. Now, these are all like, I would call these kind of, the the Beatitudes are almost like the feel-good verses. Like, blessed are all these people, and they all get to be a part of the kingdom of God, and doesn't just feel good, and Jesus is love, and he's making like the gate super wide, it appears like, and, or like at least throwing this wide net to catch everyone. And, and it's like one of these moments where it's like, doesn't it just feel good for love to be love, and not love loving? Sometimes it can feel that way. 
And, but what, here's what's interesting here. If there were political parties, let's just imagine that left represents liberalism and right represents conservatism. Jesus in the Beatitudes, you want to know what he does? He goes left of left. He goes so far left that everyone's offended. That's what he does. He goes, you want to know who the kingdom of God is so close to? It's all these people that everyone doesn't think they deserve to be in the kingdom of God. Everyone who, who's thrown them on the outside, on the outskirts, or would say they're undeserving, he goes, that's who the kingdom of God is for. Now, before some of you either start cheering or you start squirming because you're nervous about that idea, okay, you got to understand that it's just, the, it's just the first 12 verses of the sermon. The rest of the sermon, if you read the rest of the sermon, you want to know what Jesus is going to do? For the rest of the sermon, he's going to go right of right. He's actually going to go past conservative. He's going to go way past even the conservative views of that day. And so this is, the, quite frankly, the reason why Jesus actually doesn't fit in any political party. He just doesn't because he's left of left in terms of who he's inviting into the kingdom of God. He's right of right in terms of the standard that we're in the kingdom that we're all called into. And this is why Jesus is actually fulfills Isaiah chapter nine when he says, and I will establish my kingdom and my government and to which there will, be, uh, there will be no end of my government. We belong to a king and a kingdom that's not of this world and just doesn't fit in any box. Does that make sense? That is a good thought. That's a good thought right there. <laughs> and I said, he's, he goes left of left. <laughs> I wrote um, in the God Experiment, I wrote this book a couple years ago. And um, in the very beginning of who is this book for, I quote a, a song, a song that I heard when I was probably in junior high. It was written by a band called the Lost Dogs. And um, they wrote this song called Breathe Deep. And as I read it, even as I read it today, <laughs> some of you are going to squirm. The whole idea is that Every person in this list is being invited to breathe deep the breath of God. Politicians, morticians, Philistines, homophobes, skinheads, deadheads, tax evaders, street kids, alcoholics, workaholics, wise guys, dimwits, blue collars, white collars, warmongers, peaceniks. Breathe, breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Breathe deep. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. Suicidals, rock idols. Shut-ins, dropouts, friendless, homeless, penniless, and depressed. Presidents, residents, foreigners, and aliens. Dissidents, feminists, xenophobes, and chauvinists. Evolutionists, creationists, perverts, slumlords, deadbeats, athletes, Protestants, and Catholics. Housewives, neophytes, pro-choice, pro-life, misogynists, monogamists, philanthropists, blacks and whites. Police, obese, lawyers, and government. Sex offenders, tax collectors, war vets, rejects. Atheists, scientists, racists, sadists, biographers, photographers, artists, pornographers, gays and lesbians, demagogues and thespians, the disabled, preachers, doctors and teachers, meat eaters, wife beaters, judges and juries, long hairs, no hairs, everybody everywhere. Breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God. I can almost imagine those guys might have written something like that after reading the Beatitudes. Going, it seems to be that the kingdom of God is closer to more people than they think. Now, before you go, man, that, I, some of those people just don't belong. 
It's because what we have a tendency to do is, is we go, on a scale of wrongness, that person seemed like his wrong was worse than mine. But the truth be told is none of us deserve to have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. None of us deserve the kingdom of heaven. The reason why everyone in that list is actually invited to the kingdom of heaven is because of the one who's giving the invitation, not because of us. But then, for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as wide as Jesus seemed to have just made kind of the gate into the kingdom of heaven, and he will talk about how actually the gate is very narrow, not wide. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually going to call us so high. He's going to raise the standard that will make every single person there seem uncomfortable, uncomfortable as if they don't belong. And yet, it's the kingdom that you do belong to. I just want to read to you out of 1 John chapter 3, because as we were singing earlier today, uh, we're singing all these songs about being children of God, and it can just sound like everyone's in, and we're all part of the children of God. And while it's true that we're all created by him, and we are all made for him, the reality is we only become a part of the family when we choose to put our faith in what Jesus did for us and we don't put our faith in ourselves or anything that we could do. We say, it's what Jesus did for us at the cross that paid my way to have a restored relationship with my heavenly father. And it did a transforming work within me. Here's what First uh, John chapter three says. It says, how great is the love of the father that he's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they do not know him. It's about knowing him and have a, having a relationship with him. Verse seven, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does not do, or he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been running, uh, has been sinning since the beginning. My eyes are not working as well as they used to, okay? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one, listen to this, has been born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, is he saying, oh, those are like really strong words. If you sin, you're not a child of God. Does it mean if you ever sin again, you're, you're like out of the family? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, once you put your faith in Jesus, he's placed his seed, the Holy Spirit within you, and you, your life has changed. There's a transformation that has taken place in your heart in which now when you encounter sin and you step into sin, and we will, that there's this repulsive thing, kind of response to it, where we go, I actually, I know that I'm in the muck. It's like a pig returning to the slop, and you go, I've returned to the slop, and I know I've made, I'm made for more. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin again, but it does mean, hey, I know I'm made for righteousness, which is actually the rest of the Sermon of the, of the Mount. He's basically saying, here's the righteousness to which you are called to. I feel like that's a good place to end. <laughs> Let's stand. Here's how I want to end. If you don't know God personally through faith in Jesus Christ, and putting your faith in him. 
I just want to give you an opportunity to do so. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's really, it's a prayer that you can pray. It's between you and God. He hears what's happening in your heart. But you can know you're a child of God. Jesus literally through the beginning here, he's going, the kingdom of God's a whole lot closer to you than you ever thought probably. And maybe today for you, you're realizing, holy cow, I just didn't realize it was for me. It is, it's for you. And Jesus laid down his life for you at the cross so that you could have this relationship with God and become a part of the family and have access, become a part of a citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, if you want to pray a prayer to receive Jesus, it's as simple as this. Heavenly Father, I admit I'm a sinner. My sin has broken my relationship with a pure, holy, righteous God. Today, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to put my faith in him and what he did for me at the cross and not in myself. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Place your Holy Spirit in me. Help me to walk rightly and in righteousness. I know it's not that I'll never sin again, but may I be repulsed by sin and drawn to righteousness. As we continue even in this series, diving into the Sermon on the Mount, I pray that there would be something that is shaking within the church as we recognize the kingdom that we belong to and the standard and how high you are calling us. It's a beautiful standard. It's a beautiful kingdom. And while the kingdom of God is for anyone, It will transform everyone who comes in. So Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If we can pray for you at all, we'd love to pray for you. Our prayer partners will be right down here along the front of the stage. They're available online as well. If you want to give, you can give in boxes in the back or give online. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week for The Goat, week two. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.